going on? Donald Wine here. Glad to have you on the 31st episode of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. It is Friday, December 11th. I hope everyone out there who celebrates it had a wonderful first night of Hanukkah and may the next seven days and nights also be just as great. We have another men's national team match to recap. We have a new World Cup qualifying schedule, and the women have a new calendar complete with their version of the greatest tournament on the planet. That's right, a women's CONCACAF Nations League. But we begin with the U.S. men's national team, who had a 6 nothing win Wednesday night against El Salvador down in Fort Lauderdale. The goal scorers from that game, a tremendous game, Paul Areola, Chris Mueller with a brace and an assist in his debut. We'll talk more about him. Sebastian Legette scoring in his second consecutive match and also providing an assist. Ayo Akinola with a debut goal and Brendan Aronson with a goal and an assist in his debut. 6-0. El Salvador was outmatched. And keep in mind, under the new Hex format that was scrapped because of COVID, El Salvador was going to be that sixth team. They still are, according to the FIFA rankings, the sixth best team in CONCACAF. But now that there's an octagon, they have to go through the first couple of rounds of qualifying. We'll talk about all that in a little bit. But still, they're one of the contenders to make the octagon and destroying them with an MLS-based lineup, that's a great outing for the men's national team and head coach Greg Berhalter. Bill Hamid, three assists, the clean sheet. Glad to see him back on the team. He didn't have much work to do back there, but he looked and performed well on the field. Greg Berhalter, after the game, complimented his play, and he said, Bill was Bill. And when Bill is Bill, that means you're getting a clean sheet and a very solid output from him. So good on my man Bill for getting the clean sheet Wednesday night. Paul Areola, great that he's back on the field. He looked wonderful. Again, it was his first match back since he debuted the last like 20 minutes or so for DC United in their season finale. He also has not been on the national team since January camp. He was on the team when they beat Costa Rica back on February 1st. He scored the first goal. As I mentioned, he looked great and can't wait to see him continue to progress in his recovery from that ACL injury that he suffered back in February. Chris Mueller had one heck of a debut. Could He could have had a hat trick, but was unselfish and laid it off for Ayo Akinola to score. Brendan Aronson was also right there ready to pound, so his unselfishness is really the only reason why he didn't have a hat trick. He was the community's man of the match. He was the U.S. Soccer Insider's man of the match. He was just a man. Wonderful performance from him. Hopefully we see more of him probably next month in January camp. Mark McKenzie, I thought he played pretty well, and I thought he did well enough to keep him in that center back conversation to see who we pair alongside John Brooks. He had a goal. It should have counted. He was onside, but they didn't have VAR in this, so it was taken away from him. But a really good effort from my man, Mark McKenzie. Jackson Ewell and Julian Araujo both, I think, did great. Great passing forward to begin the attack. Both had wonderful assists on the night, and I thought they were doing really well to keep the pace of the of the play moving forward. And for Rajo's case, he tracked back on defense as well, and I thought he had a great set defensively as well. Brendan Harrison, as I mentioned, a great debut, had a goal, had an assist. He was all over the field. I think from a lot of people, we liked what we saw from him. We want to see more. Hopefully... He is ready now to take that leap. He's going over to Red Bull Salzburg in January. We probably won't see him until maybe March if he's on the team. But this is a great 
bounced for him, and he's going to take that and I hope has a lot of confidence when he goes over to play with Jesse Marsh's squad over there in Salzburg. Daryl DK was injured uh, the day before the match, so he did not feature. I think that was uh, unfortunate, but we haven't seen the last of him. He's 20 years old. He's a you know power forward. He, he's going to be able to factor in maybe into January camp. Maybe that is when we see what he can do. And Efren Alvarez and Andres Pereira, of course, were not eligible to play. They were just in camp uh, to get a look. But because they haven't filed a one-time switch from Mexico and Alvarez's case and in Pereira's case, Colombia, they did not play on Wednesday night. I will say there are a couple notes from the game that I want to briefly mention. The U.S. scored six goals again. That's back-to-back matches for them. The first time since 2013 that they've scored six goals in back-to-back matches. For Chris Mueller... Sixth player to score two goals in his debut joins his fellow teammate Sebastian Soto, who did it last month. This team, we've talked about how young this men's national team has been so far. The starting 11 was an average age of exactly 24 years old. They had nine caps on average between the starting 11, a very, very young lineup. The future could be right now for the men's national team, but either way, wherever you think that future is, whether it's now or in the near term, that future is really bright. Ten of these players, mind you, are eligible for next summer's 2021 Summer Olympics. So this is a reminder. It's a, it's a U24 tournament. Brendan Aronson, Kyle Duncan, Jordi Mihaljevic, Ayo Akinola, Sebastian Soto, Marco Farfan, Julian Araujo, Mark McKenzie, Sam Vines, and Jackson Ewell all played Wednesday night, all of them eligible to qualify and go to the Summer Olympics. So if we have this young squad Next summer is going to be incredibly busy. It is great to have all these young guys. Our depth is going to be very important when it comes to next summer and beyond, especially when World Cup qualifying starts. Again, we'll talk about World Cup qualifying a little bit later. And of course, finally, the U.S. men's national team finishes 2020 undefeated. 3-0-1, three wins, one draw, but still undefeated, unbeaten, just the way we drew it up. I know COVID tried to take some games away from us, and it succeeded. But what a way to close out the year with a fun win over what is a borderline World Cup qualifying team. The men's national team are done with 2020. Let's see if they can carry this momentum into the new year. And next up in that new year, eventually, we will get to World Cup qualifying. COVID has wreaked havoc on the schedule, but finally we have a new new schedule. If you remember, uh, CONCACAF had had the hex And then because of COVID, they were going to reformat the hex. And then that got scrapped. Now we have the octagon. And then that has been altered. But CONCACAF successfully lobbied FIFA to add a day to the end of four windows. September 2021, October 2021, and then January and March of 2022. So they lobbied to make sure that we could get three match dates during those windows. This is just so the World Cup qualifying schedule could be pushed back and played in full after COVID forced the postponement of the first and second rounds of play this fall. So instead of doing a redraw of the slots like CONCACAF did back in August, they did the least CONCACAF thing they could do and just push the entire calendar back. Very simple, but simple and logical is not always the MO of this confederation. Keep in mind the first and second round of qualifying That will determine the final three teams in this octagon. So we won't know who those three teams are until June of next year. And and just to remind you, 
briefly of the teams that still could qualify for that octagon. They've taken the first round and they took the 30 teams that are still in this and split them into six groups. The winners of each group have already been paired off against each other. So I'm just going to go through briefly to get you to the octagon and then we'll talk about the octagon schedule. Group A, El Salvador, Antigua and Barbuda, Grenada, Montserrat, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. B is Canada, Suriname, Bermuda, Cayman Islands, and Aruba. Group C, Curaçao, Guatemala, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Cuba, and the British Virgin Islands. Group D, Panama, Dominican Republic, Barbados, Dominica, Anguilla. Group E, Haiti, Nicaragua, Belize, St. Lucia, and the Turks and Caicos. And Group F, Trinidad and Tobago, St. Kitts and Nevis, Guyana, Puerto Rico, and the Bahamas. So, knowing these groups, I know that was a lot of teams. That's not really the most important thing right now. But each of those groups will have a round robin in March of next year and stretching into early June. Remember, June has two windows back to back. The winner of each group progresses to the second round of qualifying. That will be a two-legged home and away series in that second window in June 2021. The winner of Group A will face the winner of Group F. The Group B winners will square off against the Group E winner, and Groups C and D will see their winners battle each other. The winners of each series, those are your final three teams into the octagon. So we've gotten from 30 down to three. And those three enter the octagon with the United States, Mexico, Jamaica, Honduras, and Costa Rica. So now that you've gotten to this point, here is the octagon schedule as it stands right now. And for the teams that are to be determined, I will remind you of a couple of contenders we may see in those slots. We begin with window one. That is September 2021. There will be three matches in that window. We begin at the winner of the AF second round tie. That is, could be El Salvador. And yes, that could be Trinidad and Tobago. How we ended that dreaded 2018 World Cup cycle we could restart the 2022 cycle at the same spot. Trinidad and Tobago right there looming if they can get all the way through. After that match, we come home to face the winner of the BE contest. That would be Canada. That's probably the clear favorite, but also Haiti looms. Haiti could surprise people and make it into this hex. And then finally for the third match of September 2021, we travel to Honduras to play there. Window 2, October 2021. Home versus Jamaica. A nice contest. Then we travel to the winner of the CD grouping. That is Curacao or Panama. Those are the two probably clear favorites from those two groups. And then we come home to face Costa Rica to end October. Window 3, November 2021. I say this very slowly so I can tell you. We will start that one. That is only two match dates. The Mexico home game is the first one in that slate. The big one. The one that we always want to get against the team we always want to beat. Home against Mexico in November 2021. I guarantee you, you want to take that off. I don't know if you have employment that will allow you to take time off not 11 months in advance. But you probably want to do it. Because November 2021, we open at home against Mexico. And then after that game. After that big game, we travel to the office in Kingston to battle Jamaica. So 
That window only has two matches, but two really big ones. The home match, probably the biggest one in our schedule, and then a very difficult road match, a place we've lost before and a place that we have toughed out a couple of wins in the past during World Cup qualifying. We then get a break for the holidays, and then in January 2022, it gets thick. We are back. A new window has been created, and now that window has three dates. We start at home versus the AF winner. We then travel to the BE winner, and then we come back home to face Honduras in January 2022. Now, that is through four windows. At this point, 33 possible points are there. And we want to have as many of those as possible because if we can't clinch World Cup qualifying by the end of January 2022, the last window, window five, March 2022, is probably the most difficult window we will ever face in the history of World Cup qualifying because we start at Azteca, at Mexico, a place where during World Cup qualifying, we have never beaten the Mexicans. We have never beaten them during World Cup qualifying. I say that again. And it could possibly be the final time a U.S.-Mexico qualifier ever takes place at the Azteca because of the expanded tournament for the World Cup, because of how qualifying is probably going to take place. They're going to make sure that they guarantee that U.S. and Mexico have that the U.S. and Mexico have the best opportunity to make the World Cup every time. I doubt that we will see a meaningful game at Azteca after March 22. So again, I don't know if you can take a full year to, to put in time off, but do it for that one. But also, we want those points because we've never beaten them during a qualifier. The only one we have in 75 years, back in 2012 during a friendly. We then come home and we face the CD winner. But then our final match date is at Costa Rica again a place we have never won ever. So two matches, probably our two biggest away games against two of the best teams in CONCACAF, two places we have never won during qualifying. We can't rely on points there. Of course, we would like to get them. We would love to get the first win in March of 2022 in both of those spots. We can't rely on it. So that's World Cup qualifying. There's your octagon schedule for now. Obviously, COVID does not care about timelines. They do not care about scheduling and has do it, done his level best to wreak havoc over scheduling. Let's see what happens. But for now, September 2021 is the start of World Cup qualifying for the United States men's national team. And I hope you're there for the ride because it is going to be one where depth is important. We talked about that in the last segment with the national team. We are set up now where we got some young guys that could go the long haul. During World Cup qualifying, we're going to need a lot of players to be fully fit by the summertime of next year because come September, these matches come quick and fast, and they all count. We're going to pause here for a quick break. On the other side, the women get their greatest tournament in the world and other major happenings in the women's calendar for CONCACAF, so stay tuned. We are back, and the final segment of this episode will focus on the women's national team. CONCACAF yesterday unveiled their calendar for the next few years, and they formed some new tournaments and a new World Cup qualifying format. The biggest story 
is that the women are finally getting their version of the greatest tournament in the world, Nations League. You should all know by now I'm the biggest fan of Nations League, and the women are getting their own. I am so thrilled for this. Before we get into the greatest tournament, I should talk about how World Cup qualifying will work for the 2023 World Cup. I'm reading here from the CONCACAF website, and I'll explain what changes they're going to be, and you'll see that not a lot has changed for the women's national team. CONCACAF women's teams ranked three and below will be drawn into groups of five. They then play a total of four matches. At the end of that group stage, the winners, six groups, will qualify for a centralized finals event. The U.S. and Canada, since they're the top two CONCACAF nations in the FIFA rankings from August of this year, they get a bye straight to that centralized finals event. Now, the group stage will take place in the FIFA windows of November 2021 and April 2022. And in July of 2022, the women's national team and Canada will be joined by those six group winners. The eight nations will be split into two groups of four for this centralized finals. After a single round robin, the top two from each group qualify for the knockout rounds. The final event will qualify CONCACAF teams into that 2023 Women's World Cup, which will take place in Australia and New Zealand. So this centralized tournament is the same as it was before. The women at this point will have three games in the group stage and then a max of two in the final knockout stage to get to the World Cup. If they make the final of that tournament, they're automatically in the World Cup. The winner of that game, it just is for bragging rights. Now to the Nations League. The Nations League will have a group stage that is taking place in the windows of September, October, and November of 2023. Now, this will, of course, take place after the Women's World Cup does in 2023. National teams will be split into groups within three leagues. Home and away matches will be played within those groups. The top three league group winners will qualify directly to the finals event in summer 2024. We'll talk about that in just a second. The CONCACAF women's national teams which compete in the summer 2024 Olympic Games will not compete in the group stage. They will receive a bye directly to the finals. So Olympic qualifying is going to take place before this happens. And if the United States qualify for the 2024 Olympic Games, they will not play in this group stage, along with the other teams who qualify for the Olympics. They will not be here. In June of 2024, now that is before the Olympics, the finals will consist of 12 teams split into three groups of four. That includes the women's national team if they qualify for the Olympics and whoever that other team may be, and then the six nations that qualified through the group stage. And if there's a play-in, they would take place in April of that year. There's also going to be four guest national teams from other confederations. So that's the interesting thing, is that kind of like the Gold Cup where we were inviting Qatar on the men's side, kind of like Copa America where Qatar and Japan and others have and even the United States at times have competed in that, we will invite four national teams from other confederations to compete in this finals event during Nations League. Interesting. Not sure what their thinking is behind that, but it is a chance for these other nations other than the United States to play teams from outside the confederation. 
after the round robin play, three group winners, three group runner-ups, and the two best third-place teams. They go to the knockout stage, and then we go from there. So that is your Nations League, and they're going to probably do this surrounding each Olympic window. This is obviously to keep something on the schedule so that teams keep competing when their cycle is over. Remember, for the women, normally you have the Women's World Cup followed by the Olympics, and then three years are basically nothing but friendlies until they start qualifying for the World Cup again. This Nations League will put be put right in the middle of that so that there's something more to compete for as these women continue through those cycles. So for me, I love this setup. I just want island games. Just give us all island games. I don't know what CONCACAF needs to do. Catch me in the islands for all those matches. I love the Nations League so much because you get to travel to these islands and, and, and other places throughout the region and just have a ball and watch soccer because Nations League is awesome. If you don't believe me, just come on a road trip. It's going to be fun. I promise you, you are going to fall in love with the Nations League. But one thing to remember, this Nations League is not set up for us. It doesn't help the women's national team. They're solar systems ahead of most of these teams in terms of talent, in terms of development, all that. They're the best team on the entire planet by a wide margin. This is CONCACAF putting money and investment into the women's game so that the other nations can start the long haul to try and catch up to the peloton. They're also trying to get them playing more. There's some teams that don't play. Even in World Cup qualifying, they just kind of say, yeah, no, we're not going to do it. So this is a good thing, in my opinion, for the region. It may not benefit the women's national team directly, but it's a good thing for the for CONCACAF to try and get more of these teams active and involved in putting money into, into the development of those programs and the improvement of those programs. So I'm really excited for this tournament. And like I said, CONCACAF, please, just give us some cool islands to visit so we can watch our women's national team play. That will do it for Episode 31 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Remember, you can send an email with questions or topic suggestions to ssfcpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week, probably earlier in the week, but thanks so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and please tell your friends. We want to keep this pod moving. We can't do it without you. And until next time, take care.